0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Thriving in Construction, the podcast. I'm super, super excited about this episode because I think it's very timely. We're gonna talk about sustainability and resiliency in construction. And we have a very, very special person, very experienced to talk about the topic. So I'm very privileged to have today the founder and president of EcoPreserve an award-winning certified female-owned sustainability and resiliency consulting firm. For over a decade now, Eco-Preserve team members have worked with local and state government, healthcare, and higher education to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions, prepare for climate hazards, and create safer and healthier workplaces. So, I let its president and founder talk about it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Miss Alexa Stone.
1: Alexa, how are you? It's great to meet you. It's great uh, to have you in our podcast. I am very excited about the topic about your expertise and I appreciate you reaching out. And uh, it's all about connection. It's all about relationships. We were just talking a little bit before about creating sustainable and resilient relationships, not only in the personal lives, but also in our professional lives. And that's really the type of relationship that I want to foster so that we can have a success in our, in what we do. So how do you see that?
2: I couldn't agree more, Patricia. (laughs) Thank you very much for having um, me on this podcast. It's wonderful. I I agree. I like long-term relationships. It makes such a difference. It makes projects better because people take a while to learn how to work together and what are your strengths and your weaknesses. And anybody who's been married for a long time knows you have to work through these things. And if you do, there's a huge value to it. So I completely agree with a, a sustainable approach to business relationships. And actually, all aspects of life.
1: Absolutely. So, please tell our listeners more about you, about your company, how you started in in our industry, how 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 long have you been in business? What do you guys do? Tell us everything.
2: <laughs> I want to know everything? I'm old. Okay. Um, I started Eco Preserve back in 2009. At the time, I was working for Home Depot. Corporate, and I was over all of their electrical vendors. And so I was learning everything I could about lighting because at the time there was, everybody's really excited about LED lighting because you could save a lot of energy if you you know changed over to LED. So I was learning everything I could and helping large organizations make that transition, which was exciting. Um, And this is when Obama was president and there was money, federal money. It was called EECBG. Do you remember that? The energy- In conservation conservation yes. grant funding. Um, and so I worked with the county here in Central Florida, and we got a million dollars to fund a, an EV conversion for the local government, Orange County government. And we did that, and it was phenomenal. But it inspired me even beyond that, because it's more than just saving energy, right? It's more than just reducing your bill. It's about reducing the greenhouse gas emissions that come along with reducing your bill. And i I wanted to do that, and so I, I started Equal Preserve at that time, and then Orange County Government became our very, very first client, and the first job that we had was to take them through lead gold certification so wow. I assume that your 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 listeners are familiar with lead would you agree well i
1: I am not sure I don't like to assume anything. I love to educate, so this is this our podcast is more about education, so please enlighten all of us into what, the different type of certifications because there's more available now Yeah, it's you're right. on lead, so, so there's been a, a, growth, a growth path. So that'd be a, a, a great topic to talk about.
2: Okay, so LEED certification became popular in the late 80s and it's a high performance green building certification. So it's certifying that your building is not only designed but is operating efficiently. Um, It stands L-E-E-D, all capital letters, and it stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. And a person can become a LEED-accredited professional, which I am and many people in my team are, and many people who are listening to this podcast may be. Um, And a building can become LEED-certified. And there's various versions of LEED, too. There's LEED for new construction. There's LEED for existing buildings. There's LEED for interior design. So there's there's different directions you can go with LEED. LEED is the most recognized high-performance green building certification in the world. It's very, very popular. But Patricia, as you mentioned, there's other certifications that have have come up now. Lots of them. Um, There's ISO certification. There's WELL certification, which is for the health and the wellness of building occupants. There's Green Globe certification, and since you work a lot with the federal government, that's one that they tend to focus on. There's lots of different certifications, and Eco Preserve is involved in, in
1: many of them. And, and in the LEED certifications, also the buildings get certified with different levels, right? You have, uh, you have silver, so yes. can you just describe them a little bit more and also let us know which one is the one that is most popular? And and also, there's a there's a money component associated with them. We Mm. we have done several leads, you know, certified buildings. So would love for you your take on what's more available or more common.
2: Okay, so you're right. There's multiple levels of lead leads. Just lead certified is the lowest level, and then there's uh, lead silver, lead gold, lead platinum. What I have seen with local governments in general, and I believe Miami is, this is the case with Miami, they require buildings to become LEED Silver certified. Um, that building that I told you when we worked with Orange County, the first one we took Orange County Convention Center through LEED Gold certification. And um, LEED Platinum is now becoming more popular because it really you really have to go above and beyond to achieve LEED Platinum you really have to have some sort of on-site renewable energy in order to achieve lead platinum.
1: So, but there's a component, right? There's uh, people make decisions whether to certify or not. Because there is a a financial factor, the more, the higher the level, it's possible that the higher the cost. That's right? true. And uh, uh, some entities actually in their specs, they say, you have the building is is going to be as if it's lead certified or it's it's uh it's it's required but they're not going to go through the process of the the formal certification because that's like as an additional cost Besides yeah. materials and stuff they are not going to go through the process of you know having the plaque and mm-hmm. i would say that's all that's solely pure um financial decision would you say well,
2: I have heard that and I support that. We at Preserve we call that ABC, all but certified. You're going to do everything to meet the certification, but you're not actually going to go through with the U.S. Green Building Council and get the certification because it is a fee. There's a fee involved with that. Um, and I understand that and I applaud organizations that are going to take the ABC route. However, I do believe that a third party certification has advantages because you've really got to do it. I think when it's ABC, you're self-certifying, so you can kind of claim what you want to claim. you might just you know make the edges a little bit rounder or whatever it is to to call yourself that. So I, I do believe that there's um, a benefit to actually getting the full certification. And I haven't always felt that way, but I do feel that way now because, because I'm so focused on reducing greenhouse gas emissions overall, and um, I don't want to cut corners when it comes to our future.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, we have been involved, and I. now that we're talking about it, we when, it's, when, it's, when the paperwork is required, right? And when there's a lot of uh, accountability and focus on the paperwork, and proof documentation that, that proves that the the waste was recycled properly that you know the the material was procured at a at a, at the distance or in the location that was that was a to, that was required in order to get that that point you if you don't follow through with the paperwork you you might maybe you did it but maybe you didn't do it you know so right. that's that maybe that's what you're talking about
2: it is and then there's the recertification process you know you won't need to go through recertification if you didn't get certified so even though it might seem like it's window dressing to actually get the certification i believe that it's a good practice
1: to do it yeah yeah so talk to me about resiliency in construction and design sustainability and resiliency there's a difference can you speak to that
2: well resiliency i think of as um, buildings that are designed to withstand upcoming climate change. So we all know that there's going to be effects on our built environment that come from. So upcoming climate events are, are changing all the time, whether it's going to be flooding, whether it's heat, whether it's fires. And the, that means that the design of what we're building needs to change. So that it is adapted for that and so that when those events happen a building can withstand them better and recover from them better one of the things that i see happening right now and i bet you you do too patricia is that these these climate events are happening and building owners are trying to quickly mitigate the damage they're trying to fix you know repair things but they can save a lot of money if they put their money into the designs so it's designed to withstand those climate events up
1: front. Yes and and you know what my understanding of resiliency is everything you said and also takes into consideration the people that live in it so that people can continue to be resilient I guess and and maintain their course of life or the, the course of living in the less destructive way um if you're in a hospital for example some some design some they go, go to the extent that not only the the building is supposed to withstand these weather events but also if the doctors it's also equipped so doctors can bring their families their dogs so that they can continue to serve without having to be concerned about my family right and is that is that have you been involved in any of the of these mm-hmm. projects
2: yeah, there's something called resilience hubs, and I think it speaks to what you're saying. And it's basically a community of, of like we need to know where we can go to for shelter. Is it going to be the convention center? Is it going to be the school systems? What buildings are we are going to be the shelters for us when we need that? And I see local governments um and other nonprofit organizations working to develop those kind of resilience hubs for um, communities. I mean, in Florida, we're particularly vulnerable, so we're all thinking about that.
1: So sustainability has been a term that it's been available to us for a long time, but resiliency is more of a newer term, right? Would you say what, what's what's up? Because some entities, I know the Army Corps of Engineers is focused on on resiliency and uh, in, in part of their of their um, latest strategic plan and some cities for example in, here in in, the, in south florida it's it's a focus because we get a top, you know we get a lot of hurricanes mm-hmm. is that so so sustainability though how do you see the fo- in terms of focus first of all what's the difference what how do you describe sustainability And um, and how do you see our governments do you think they're really really are um forcing not forcing but in, but promoting sustainability and resiliency and making them part of their specs mandatory you know which cities or which counties do you see that they are more forward forward with uh with this uh with sustainability and resiliency and give us the definition of resiliency
2: that's a, It's a really good point. Um, sustainability has been long, around for a long time. And it's just to your it, it just means that you can sustain, you can keep going, you know, it's you're not overusing. Um, and resiliency is more of your ability to respond to climate events. Um, so I think of this, I find it interesting, because I thought to myself, is sustainability, the word itself kind of No longer useful do do we just get rid of sustainability is it not valid anymore and i don't think i think that sustainability is absolutely key and the reason is let's say you have a building and you want it to be resilient so if there's going to be power outages you want to have on-site generation of power so that you can you'll be able to keep your electricity on that's resilience but If you're sustainable, then you'll use, you'll reduce your energy consumption as low as possible so that you're sustainable. And when you're sustainable, it's easier to be resilient because you need less power. So I think they go hand in hand and that's the way that we're approaching it. And then to your second question, as far as which governments or which states or cities, um, counties are are moving uh, more aggressively towards sustainability it's really quite a patchwork that I see. And I'm happy to be living in Orlando, because I think Orlando is a a progressive city in Florida. And I also know that Miami is. I couldn't imagine not being a progressive city or county in Florida because, again, we are so very vulnerable here to sea level rise. But across the rest of the country, it really does seem to be uh, linked to the government in place. Some governments are more... Con- I think one thing that we're missing is people have a hard time seeing the link between reducing greenhouse gas emissions and storms, you know, climate events, right? The, the, if we can reduce our energy consumption from buildings, just buildings, that alone will have a huge impact on slowing the the level of climate change and therefore climate events that continue to happen and same thing with transportation if we can make this transition over to electric vehicles we will lower the 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 speed of change in terms of climate events
1: so as a regular person what do you think we can do in order to contribute to the reduction of of you know to to be more sustainable to what do you think we can do individually? I think that
2: we can all have LED lights in our houses and our condominiums and apartments. I think that we can recycle our waste. Um, you can walk wherever you go whenever it's possible. You can have um, a, a hybrid or an EV vehicle. You could choose to live in a community that is walkable. Maybe I should put it that way. That's good uh you know people don't think about pets but you might want to limit the number of pets you have or maybe even the number of children that you have these things all impact you can think about the the things that you buy and really your perspective on products are you do you have a disposable sense that you just want to buy all sorts of clothes and then you know sometimes you just throw them away because you decide you don't like them i think that's been the mindset across the board in the united states and it's part of the reason that we're in a we're in such a jam we're in such a pickle in terms of a country trying to change our perspective into one that is more long term so we need to be thinking about repairing things and keeping them and giving them away and 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 it really is a massive mindset change that we need to move toward and everybody can start individually but i I also wanna give a lot of responsibility to large manufacturers and make sure that they change their packaging design so that when we get things, it's not covered in plastic and covered in papers. Um, that would help significantly. What I'd like to do is really start with the major contributors. So individuals can do our part and we should, but the manufacturers really need to um have a lot of pressure on them and we with our own dollars need to spend in a way that supports companies that care about reducing greenhouse gas emissions that care about the climate that understand that this is a reality that we're faced with and that our children are even faced with even more and it's a scary one and we should all participate
1: yeah well and and the other part is it's uh it's in the construction part of it right if we, if we could have all our specs, if if everything that we build from now on, or everything that we touch, whether it's you know renovation or new construction, had that into consideration, it'd be uh an impact. I would say, right?
2: I think you're absolutely right. Everything should be designed for energy efficiency and resilience moving forward. I can't, and it, and I think that that is happening. That really is. I don't know if you've seen the mandate in New York City right now, but it's kind of interesting. Um, you're not allowed to have a building in New York City that produces over a certain amount of greenhouse gas emissions. And if you do, you will be fined. This is a new a new bill, and it's not, the fines are not in place yet. But you know, it starts with New York, and then it comes to other places. And it's certainly happening outside of the United States.
1: Yeah, uh, I agree. Absolutely. So what is your company doing? What are the different expertise or the solutions that you bring to a client and who is your ideal client?
2: We work a lot with city and county governments and we also work with transportation authorities, we work with airports a lot, we work with the hospitals and universities and sometimes with um, commercial real estate. We are sometimes brought in to help them design their own sustainability and resiliency plan for the organization. So they want to know where they stand right now and um, where they want to go to and how they get there. So we'll design that whole roadmap for them. Um, Then some of them are interested in the certifications. So we'll help them through their certification process. Sometimes they are um, interested in developing their EV infrastructure. So just as an example, a hospital that we work with said, you know, we don't have electric vehicles yet, but we know we should, should we be thinking about it? And we're like, yes, you need to be thinking about it before you're even considering what kind of car, what kind of charger, way before we need to think about what kind of load management will be required for the additional draw on um, electricity, where it should be situated, the footprint of your EV charging area. There's so many things to consider in the planning process, so we'll, we'll help with that uh, we also work with uh, solid waste management. Um, and one of the overlooked areas for greenhouse gas emissions is landfill waste. So we've done a lot of projects for zero waste emissions for um, solid waste management.
1: Really? And do you also provide, let's say, support in a for to monitor or to help a contractor with uh, lead certification? Do you? Is that something that you guys do also? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes they'll come to us
2: in conceptual design and say, "Well, we're here right now. What should we change in our design to get to the point where we can either get LEED certified or even more? We want to be zero emissions." And we'll review the design and give our recommendations, and then and you know help them. It's sort of a business case analysis. You you might have this many options, but this will give you this. This will give you this. This will cost this, and just just show them an apples to apples comparison so they can make an informed. Decision.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Let me ask you for for a building for a design to be resilient. What three key components do you see that do you see in that design that it defines? There's these are resilient, and that might this might be a loaded question because it probably depends on the area, the location. I mean, I, I would assume Miami is one thing, California is something else. What what is it that what is it that you look for in terms of design to see to make sure that this is resilient?
2: Um, I think that you want to be solar ready, so you want a design that will be prepared for solar, so that the roof can accept the weight. It's it's angled properly, because I think um, that on site renewable piece is something that everybody should keep in mind for resilience. Of course, you want to have your colors, Yeah, the building, you know this, should be white and light, so you're not absorbing the massive amount of heat that we take here um, in Florida. So that's uh, the SRI or the solar reflectance
1: index. Water, do you want to be independent from the grid or no? I haven't
2: seen that yet, Patricia, Um, but that doesn't mean anything, just means that I personally haven't seen that yet do you need backup generators mm, a lot to do with um the design in terms of the way this the the, the heat is going to come to you you talked about the, the white but also the way the windows are situated the roof all at all angles of the way the, the design is situated
1: as i talk to you it comes to mind that you know generationally you know we're making a a, a change in generations so you, the baby boomers are exiting the workforce and uh retiring more right and then you have a younger generation that maybe and could be more conscious to the environment at least more passionate than what our parents were or even us growing up How, how do you see that playing out in the in the years to come
2: i am so excited about young people in our industry because they really Understand the reality. It's not a question. I don't. We don't need to establish that this is happening like you do with some other people. They know it's happening. It affects them personally. They see the personal impact. I feel like that was one of the failures of sustainability from the 1980s, which is we didn't understand the connection between your life, Patricia. How is your life going to be worse if we don't? If we're not um, sustainable in our own activities, we couldn't make that connection because we didn't see it now everybody sees it right with all these climate events so i find young people coming um to eco preserve and just in general caring and wanting to do the right thing and and what drives them is different they're not driven necessarily just by money they're driven because we need to save the planet and i mean I, i hear those words come from my mouth and it sounds maybe like people would think that that's silly but it's it's the absolute reality we have got to save the planet
1: yeah when I when I was uh to me that's very connected to going back to the roots of who we are as humans it goes back to community you know less individualism more community more caring about the other more more on the philosophy that we're all one that we're all connected that we all affect each other that we're all one energy and and when i was studying in lead i i had this this feeling that you know really when you think about lead, you get more points when you're in a community that that is walkable and if you think about it it's it's more like um i i felt Yes, it is designed for building, but it, it is designed, I think, at the root for a better, a higher quality of life for the human, not for the building, because this is about our experience as humans. And uh, would you say that, that, that your impression, what do you think about that?
2: I completely agree. Yeah, I mean, lead is for the health of the occupants, and that is not necessarily just in a building. It's for the whole community. and I mean, I, I say lead, but what we're talking about sustainable, sustainability and resiliency is such a community activity. And I love what you said about people coming together, because I think that the way that we've become more digital and playing games and sort of more independent is good in a way, but it's bad in a way, too, because we've lost our connection with each other. And I, I like to see that coming back together with younger people and community gardens, and just the focus, the, the central focus, as a human species, if we have a focus that is united, we will succeed. And I see that happening. And that is very
1: encouraging. Yeah. And I think COVID came to reset uh, also some of that too, because there's a lot of work that, a lot of work that is being done at home where people don't 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 even have to drive. If yeah. I when I back when before I started the company and I, I was single, I was driving a 100 miles a day and I I had it was I was running like a chicken without a head. I can only imagine my life just if I didn't have to drive so much and everything was around, maybe, you know, the baseball, the softball. I had to take the kids to to church, all this stuff that I did as a single mom. My life would, the quality of my life. I probably would have had a little bit more time to dedicate to myself. Would have been much better. You, you just being in a walk walkable community where everything is close by. So I think it's uh, to me it's encouraging that it's how the, the world is moving and some I, probably not by choice, you know, because we are not creatures of change. People, mm-hmm. Humans don't like change, but by chance. But this is this is is happening. I think there's a. It's gonna take some adjustment, but I think there's beautiful things ahead for us.
2: Yeah, I think so. I hope so. I'm worried. So
1: why? <laughs> why are you worried?
2: I'm worried because it's not happening fast enough. I'm worried because um, the EPA just lost some of their power um, over um, coal plants. And we because we need to work on the biggest emitters first. And the biggest emitters are the fossil fuel industry. It's oil and gas. And those organizations have, are making banner profits more than they've ever made. Um, and I just don't see the change coming from them. And they can make lots of claims about doing good things. But overall, like, the change is not happening fast enough.
1: So what do you think could happen?
2: If if the change happened faster,
1: if it didn't happen fast enough,
2: oh, I think that we're the the issues that we're experiencing now will be exponentially more. There'll be more heat, more flooding, more fires, more everything that we all want to avoid.
1: We we need to become more conscious.
2: Yeah, we need to have a little bit more control with our uh, corporations and what they do.
1: Well, um I think this is this is a voice, so so give give us an invitation. You're definitely very passionate about the topic and, and knowledgeable, so give us an invitation. You have the mic, inspire us. Okay. What should we do? Um what we need to do
2: is something that has happened at a local level in some places. I think Miami is a good example of a city that's made good adaptive progress towards sea level rise, and I think Orlando is as well. One of the things that's been very effective um, is requiring buildings of a certain size to uh, reduce their energy consumption. So in Orlando, we have a program called BUS, and that means buildings over 50,000 square feet have to disclose, so make public their energy consumption. I think that's a fair and a reasonable thing to do. Nothing else. They just have to make it public. And then we as consumers need to need to look at those things. So if, if I was going to go lease an apartment, I'd want to see how much is this building that I'm moving into a big energy guzzler? Because I don't want to support that. Um, so those types of mandates are coming out. And I would like to see them in every single state across the board, instead of right now, they're just, you know, spotty locations. Um, I'd like to see incentives for um, recycling. We've tried to force people to do recycling and they just, they don't think it really works. It's too much trouble. We are a society built upon convenience. If it's convenient, we'll do it. If it's not, we're not going to go out of our way. That's a reality that we should just accept and make things convenient. So you know, I went to China recently, and it's called the smartest city in the world in Yinchang, China. So we went, into, and I know China's not a popular place, but it's still interesting, right? We can still learn from them. So I went down into the bowels of the city. It's like a control room. And from this control room, you could see what was happening in every single store, in every single bus, in every You could see, I mean, in terms of exchanges of capital. So if a person walks onto a bus, they don't have to pay. It's just immediately debited from their card, from their bank. Then you paid $1.50 to ride this bus. Wow. That's a convenience. But it also, with that convenience, gives you security. Oh, there's somebody who's coming to our city. We don't recognize this person. Let's just keep an eye on it. Now in America, we have that that funny push and pull between privacy um, and power, and, and it makes it somewhat difficult, but I think we can get through all of this by making the right choices the most convenient choices. And that's what I'd like to see happen. Yes, we need mandates, we need the stick, and we need the carrot, and we mostly need it to be easy enough for each one of us individually to do the right thing, and the corporations, of course, since they have a bigger impact need to have bigger responsibility and bigger reporting requirements. And Patricia, you're probably familiar with ESG, which is a new requirement that was created by the Securities and Exchange Commission. ESG stands for Environmental Social Governance. It's a new reporting requirement for publicly traded companies in the United States. This is massive. It's new. And I'll tell you what, it's getting a lot of backlash. People are mad about it, but I love it. Why? because big corporations have to disclose what they're doing. They have to be honest. Here's what we're doing that will hurt the environment. Here's what we're doing to support equity and diversity in our own corporation. Here's what we're doing in our boardroom. Here's what our diversity looks like, here's our goal, and here's how we're gonna get there. I think all corporations should have that kind of open disclosure and transparency. It's important. If we're gonna buy from them, we wanna know what goes on there. I wanna know that it's a fair situation for women, for any race, for anybody. I don't want to just have those closed room decisions where we don't know what's going on, we have no
1: say. I think that lately, because of a concern of a potential, maybe social unrest, because of the wealth gap being wider and wider, wider mm-hmm. big, big corporations are more inclined to, or maybe because there's an awareness that they want to make sure that their companies look like the people that buy their services and products. There's a little bit more of a of an awareness. Let's become more diverse and inclusive, right? What's your opinion about e- equity, diversity and inclusion?
2: We need to work on it a lot more. Yes, I agree with you. It is getting a little bit better. People are at least aware that they need to have the facade of it, equity, but it's still not equal. Women still don't make the same as men and, and um, Blacks and, and Hispanics also don't make the same. It is not fair yet, but it's getting better. And when we have disclosure where, where it's open, that's, that's the way to get to where we need to get to. And I, as long as those things keep moving forward, then that's good. Again, I think they need to move faster, just like um, efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions need to move faster.
1: Yeah, but well, we wanna appreciate the progress, right?
2: Absolutely, there has been progress. I mean, I felt it in my lifetime and I know you have too. It's better.
1: Exactly, it's yeah, it's a improvement, there's, mm-hmm. there's right. Yeah. Um, so, what can you tell a woman that would like to consider our industry, your industry, which is a fascinating industry? How would you encourage them to join our forces?
2: Um, I would like women to have the opportunity to get frontline experience, to really be able to have some interaction on a team like yours or mine, um, that has a good culture where they can they can get a real experience. Um, I would encourage women to pursue technical degrees, anything in STEM. Um, I, I, I think that if women want to, look for woman owned companies that may be helpful to them. I know I always encourage that. Um, Also there's something called B Corp. And that's an interesting new development. It stands for for benefit corporations. They're not nonprofits, they're a for profit corporation but they're a different type of company because they're held to the highest level for equity inclusion and and, um, social guidance for um, people that work in those companies. And we have just submitted for um, our B Corp certification. So we're in the process of waiting for that. But the, pro- but in going through that, Patricia, I learned so much because I thought we were a pretty good company. But then the B Corp, I learned a lot more of things that we could and should be doing. So I encourage young people to look for companies that are doing good things and approach them. I, I love one of the things that's happened in society now is that there's not that big gap. Like people can contact me directly. They can contact you directly. It used to be you'd have to go to it. Uh, administrative assistant you could really never get to the right person now you can just go right to the top go right to the top because we're always looking for people who number one care hard working care really want to make a difference and when we find those people they're very valuable so keep reaching
1: well one of the reasons why we started this, this podcast was to bring awareness and and kind of uh share the knowledge that we have acquired in our industry Trying to eliminate the barriers for people, you know, to join our industry or make it easier on on those that have businesses, you know, those small businesses that are maybe crushed financially, you know, our our industry, and I'm talking about construction specifically. Ninety six percent of the companies in construction fail by year ten, so only four percent survive ten years and wow. it's very it can be very 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 uh sad maybe i don't want to be dramatic but i have to say that this is the second highest rating suicide industry so we have the record of second highest rating suicide oh my goodness construction and mining that that said this is one of the when i learned that i was like mm-hmm. i was blown away yeah. and i felt like what can we do about it you know to to have it doesn't have to be like that it it can be it can be different Uh, we can be more transparent more sustainable we can care more about each other Mm -hmm. and focus on construction without destroying the person around us sometimes i think i think times need a we need an overhaul in our industry Mm -hmm. so that 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 speaks to probably in line to what the environment is what's happening in our environment also. And I think those these changes and these situations might bring some good also to all of us, like a reset.
2: Yeah, well, I, I so appreciate what you do by bringing this to people. That's wonderful.
1: Thank One you, of the thank things that I,
2: I think that we need as women is more women mentors for us. I didn't have a woman mentor and I would have loved that. So any yeah. of us, can be mentors like you are, like I am,
1: well, yeah to you. <laughs> definitely and i'll reach out to you later because i i would like for you to give a, a lunch and learn to our our staff so that they learn more about sustainability and uh i i love your passion i love what you're doing you're you're definitely you you don't bs your way around this this topic you you're definitely having the dna so i really yeah. celebrate that and appreciate what you're doing Thank you so much. Thanks. I appreciate it. And thank you you for being here. My pleasure. Bye-bye. And to you, our listeners, thank you so much for being here, listening to us. This experiment, let us know what you learned. How do you like, what do you like about sustainability? How do you see the world going? What can we do to make our world better? Thank you so much.
2: Thank you for listening to Thriving in Construction, the podcast with Patricia Benilia. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to help support the podcast, please share it with others and leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any suggestions or any related topics you would like us to tackle in our future episodes, feel free to reach Patricia by sending her a message through the website anchor.fm slash Construction find her on LinkedIn. Thanks again and we'll see you next week here in Thriving in Construction, the podcast.